Hi, everyone, and welcome to the ABA's Health Ball section, Voices in Health Ball podcast. This is a special edition on war and cyber risk in the healthcare industry. I'm Jeff Wurzberg, Senior Counsel with Lock Lord, and I am very, very fortunate to have Matt Fisher, General Counsel at Carium, and as we all know, uh, truly an, an expert in uh, anything related to cyber risk and, and healthcare. And in 2005, Tom Friedman wrote a book entitled The World is Flat. And today we see more and more about how actions in one part of the world affect us here at home. Just this morning, the Wall Street Journal reported that hours before Russian tanks entered Ukrainian territory, researchers at Microsoft discovered a never before seen type of malicious software, which they dubbed Foxblade, used in an attempted cyber attack against Ukraine's digital infrastructure. This can have real risk to the healthcare infrastructure as well. And so as I mentioned, uh, today we welcome Matt Fisher to uh, tell us more and educate us on how to be prepared, how to advise our clients to be prepared uh, as the events in Ukraine unfold. So welcome, Matt, and let's start maybe with just sharing a little bit about your background. Sure, Jeff, thanks for having me on. It's uh, you know, going to be exciting to talk about these issues because it's you know, a bit of a culmination of what we've been seeing over the past few years. Um, you know, but as you said, you know, my background, I focus a lot on privacy and security within healthcare, you know, have kind of gone through the intricacies of HIPAA, uh, even though, you know, among us healthcare lawyers, we always like to think of that as one of the more simple uh, regulatory schemes that we all have to deal with. Um, you know, that obviously then kind of translates into some of the broader privacy and security uh, regulatory schemes, uh, you know, thinking primarily within the U.S. that ends up interacting with various state laws. I keep holding out the slim hope that we'll get a federal privacy law that is more comprehensive than the piecemeal approach that we've got for a couple industries at the moment. Uh, but, you know, I think the reality is we'll be living with what it is for the moment. And then, you know, to the extent that we work uh, at companies or have clients that extend across uh, international lines, then you've got different uh, kind of regulatory, regulatory requirements to layer in. Uh, your GDPR from Europe is obviously the biggest one that we hear about, but all across Asia, you've got a whole host of laws uh, to worry about as well. <clears throat> but when we're talking about you know, cyber risk and cyber attacks, uh, you know, as I mentioned, since the beginning of uh, COVID, they, those have just been increasing, you know, if not month over month, day by day, uh, which had been kind of building also upon what had been happening pre-pandemic where we were seeing an increasing number of data breaches. Uh, but kind of through the course of the pandemic and now with warnings coming out with Russia invading into Ukraine, warnings that there's more nation state connected actors uh, or other kind of nation state connected threats that might be out there. You know, the, the last 20 years, oftentimes in, in foreign affairs, we're thinking about super empowered individuals. And here we are, you reference, we're, we're back to nation states. And we've all been watching everything unfold in Ukraine over the last several days. And uh, it's no secret that uh, Russia has been a, a state sponsor of a lot of aggressive cyber uh, activity in, in recent years. And talk a little bit about how that could spill out uh, if they're if they are engaging in cyber warfare specifically aimed at Ukraine and how that could find its way here and what that could mean for the health system, be it hospitals, be it health plans, uh, be it individuals. Yeah, I mean, I think as you mentioned, while the efforts are seemingly directed primarily at Ukraine, 
you know, there have been concerns that Russian sponsored actors have been going after critical infrastructure around the world up you know, before now, and will certainly continue after, you know, during the course of this war and after whatever resolution might happen. You know, the concern there is one, if they're attacking critical infrastructure, you're gonna be able to take down important pieces of daily life or you know, important pieces that are necessary for you know, kind of uh, various activities to occur. And I think healthcare is prime among those. Uh, you know, if you take think about the impact that you see when a hospital experiences a ransomware attack and has to shut down its information technology system, whether it's you know isolated even just to the phones, or you know you, know, you see the entire EMR go down, there's serious disruption to the ability to provide patient care. Uh, you know, oftentimes you'll see reports of facilities diverting ambulances to another location where you know, an attack is not being experienced. Uh, you have many months of recovery time after an event, even if you're able to cut it off and prevent data from being exfiltrated. You know, just the fact of having to take everything down and then restore takes time because then you're also going to be looking to shore up your security efforts uh, and hopefully prevent the same type of attack from happening again, or at least happening again successfully. Because uh, you know, I think any anyone who's on the IT side of it will tell you that there's thousands upon thousands of attacks trying to get in that are thwarted every single day. Uh, it's you know kind of why in all of our BAAs we put in that language of we're not going to report on unsuccessful security incidents that are just the result of the system being pinged, because uh, otherwise you'd get these massive files that frankly probably no one's going to look at anyway. Uh, <clears throat> but you know just thinking about the security aspect to it though it's. You know, if you have one nation that is putting its might and power behind these cyber attackers, that that's going to open them up to a broader amount of resources that could increase the sophistication, or they might be able to uh, rely upon uh, you know, intelligence that that nation state is gathering. I, you know, I think there's you know any number of concerns that you could identify from it, and then thinking about this specific instance where you've got one country primarily focused on attacking a single other country, you know, if, you know, the United States or any other country starts providing broader aid or even, you know, starts to engage directly, well, that attention is now going to shift most likely to those additional countries. Or you could even see, you know, preemptive attacks that try to prevent the, you know, additional support or entry into the conflict. So it's, you know, I don't think there can be any comfort or uh, reliance taken that just because Russia is only attacking Ukraine at the moment, that cyber attackers operating for or on behalf of Russia won't expand their focus and look to uh, go after kind of ripe targets in other countries. And now we'll take a moment to recognize our health section sponsors. The health law section would like to thank our premier sponsors for making today's podcast possible. Five-star premier sponsor, AAA, four-star premier sponsors, BRG and VMG Health, and three-star premier sponsors, Pinnacle Health. Now back to the program. So what happens when, as an attorney, you get that 3 a.m. phone call from your panic client that an incident has occurred? How should we be thinking about this from a compliance standpoint? And how should we be prepared to work and advise uh, our, our clients once we do get that call? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to be prepared for that call because it's, you know, frankly, it's going to happen whether or not you've got a war going on somewhere else in the world. It's, you know, I think the number of data breach notifications that occur show that, you know, breaches are happening 
with an unfortunate regular occurrence. And, you know, it used to be, oh, you know, we can't believe it's on a daily basis that we're hearing about a breach. Now it's, you're hearing about three to five, at least breaches per day, you know, so the number just keeps increasing. So to be ready for it, you want to make sure that you have an incident response plan, a disaster recovery plan, you know, kind of all those hallmarks that HIPAA and just frankly, good security call for, which is to be prepared, you know, have monitoring the system going on so you can shut off access as quickly as you can once you've discovered an incident. But, you know, to your point of, you know, what happens when the call comes in, in the middle of the night, you want to be able to have someone that can trigger all those actions. Uh, so that way you're not just letting some, you know, letting an attack continue to linger within the system. You want to start responding quickly. You know, so that can mean, you know, one, starting that response, so you cut off the access, do what you need to do to the system to start protecting it. But then also, you know, thinking about it from a legal perspective, probably get the lawyer in charge of, you know, the response, the investigation, and whatever information you want to try and generate to make a determination of, you know, one, is it, is it actually a breach as defined under HIPAA, you know, because it's maybe you're able to figure out that you can fall into that low probability of compromise by going through the risk assessment uh, elements that are laid out in the regulation. You know, yes or no, maybe you can't get there. Or, you know, you bring in an outside investigator to do a forensic analysis, kind of all those pieces. If you can try and structure it as running through to help enable the delivery of legal advice of how to respond, you can at least try to establish the ability to protect it under privilege to the extent that might be possible. You know, I've seen some case law that's going the direction of even if you follow all that, it's not really legal advice, so you're not going to get privilege around it. But at least, you know, if you want to, you can try to construct that argument. You know, so I think those are some of the things that you're going to be looking for. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's really, you have to be ready in advance. You know, if you haven't done, if you haven't, don't have your disaster recovery plan or your incident response plan, and you haven't tested those, so or run through, uh, you know, exercises of just seeing what would happen in the event of a particular occurrence, you're going to be dead in the water because it's, you're going to be scrambling to figure out what to do. Another piece to it is, you know, I think at this point in time, pretty much every organization out there has or should have cyber insurance. So you're going to want to be looking at your, you know, your policy and your, what's included within that coverage to figure out what could happen. You know, I think when it comes to cyber insurance, though, there's going to be a massive debate as to what happens. Uh, you know, because if it's there's been warnings, and you know, the FBI and other organizations have warned that these cyber attacks are going to be coming. You know, specifically, some of the warnings are tied to the war in Ukraine. So if it's an act of war, is your coverage even going to apply? Because so many insurance policies are going to specifically exclude coverage of acts of war. So you'll probably end up with fights probably for years in courts if it actually gets to a point where a system is impacted and you can see a connection to Russia in figuring out what's going to, you know, what, what kind of recourse you're going to have from the policy if the insurance carrier decides not to pay out a claim when it's submitted. You know, that's interesting. Uh, and I apologize. That was my, my dog scout barking a moment ago. Uh, but, you know, this sounds like almost back to the beginning of the pandemic when it was, well, what do these force majeure provisions mean? And, and will they interrupt our, our coverage? So, you know, it, you raised uh, the FBI. One uh, last I, I saw, we have not heard from HHS OCR yet. 
do you anticipate OCR weighing in on, on this and what sort of uh, steps should lawyers be, be taking to think about if they need to engage with OCR quickly uh, in the event of, of an incident? Yeah, kind of my gut feeling is I don't know if OCR is going to be able to do much, if anything. You know, what they would probably, what OCR would probably do is just point to existing guidance of what to do, uh, you know, if a breach occurs or, you know, how to treat a cyber, uh, a cyber attack. You know, the, the position there is that by default, it should be a reportable breach unless you can demonstrate that low probability of compromise. You know, in terms of better support within HHS, I think CISA, uh, which is the cybersecurity focused agency within HHS, and I can honestly never remember what the acronym stands for, uh, but I do know the C is cybersecurity. Uh, you know, that office has been putting out more warnings and guidance in terms of these types of cyber attacks. Uh, so, in fact, you often see the warnings kind of issued in conjunction between CISA and the FBI or, you know, maybe agencies within the Department of Defense. So, it's you see, so again, that CISA office is the one that's kind of taking the lead uh, when it comes to cyber incidents. So, I think it's you know, definitely worthwhile and beneficial to pay attention to any pronouncements that are coming from that source. Because, uh, you know, whether it's, you know, a nation state sponsored cyber attack, or they'll also put out information for medical device security issues, you know, anything that's kind of on the leading edge of cybersecurity ceases usually on top of. And, you know, similarly, coming at it from a, a different angle, uh, I mentioned up front the Wall Street Journal article this morning talking about the ways that companies have been assisting Ukraine and getting information to them, and in particular, Microsoft, with regard to cyber-related uh, considerations. What should... As, as health law attorneys, what should we be looking to industry for? Where should we be looking to get guidance on uh, to stay ahead of the curve and be able to advise our clients rapidly? Yeah, I, I think unfortunately there's not too many resources that are around, at least uh, kind of focused on healthcare in that regard. You know, for a few years now, there's been a push to uh, encourage more threat intelligence sharing. And that just hasn't occurred as robustly as would have been preferable. So maybe a silver lining out of this could be the development of stronger threat intelligence sharing uh, mechanisms in repositories. Uh, you know, because kind of to your point, you know, if everyone in industry can do a better job of disclosing what they're seeing and sharing and you know, distributing that information to a broader base, then you know you can start develop to develop better and more proactive response to the issues as well. Because if you know a particular vulnerability or weakness uh, is made known, you know it's very likely that whichever organization discloses it is not the only one that has that particular weakness. Uh, especially within healthcare, where there's so many legacy systems or other routes into uh, the IT system that would enable a massive uh, you know impact to the system. Getting that information disseminated as widely and as quickly as possible uh, will certainly benefit everybody. You know, Matt, uh, is anyone listening who's uh, very involved in the, the section knows you're truly a, a leader when it comes to privacy, data security issues. We, we've now been through a pandemic uh, and we're now going through uh, a war in which cyber is is really at the forefront for arguably the, the first time, this kind of a new generation. 
what issues do you see on the forefront for privacy and security? You mentioned obviously a, a federal uh, privacy law that would be a nice at the top of the wish list. But what else should we be on the lookout for? What else are you hoping for uh, that would assist our our clients? Yeah, I mean, I think it's you know, kind of as you said, that progression of events shows that cybersecurity has to be a top priority. Uh, you know, there is too often that you know it's difficult to potentially see that the return on investment when you're putting money into systems or uh, operational issues. You know, there's, I mean, it. it it is fair to say that there is a shortage of sufficient uh, kind of talent to help address the issues. And, you know, healthcare is also competing with other industries. Uh, you know, so, you know, frankly, healthcare is just not going to be able to compete on a compensation basis with, say, the technology industry, because they're, you're talking about different allocations of funds. Um, but, you know, I think we're taking those to the, uh, leaving those to the side, it's essential, as I had said, to really make sure that cybersecurity is a primary focus. Uh, and that really means getting everybody within an organization focused on it and giving it due attention because it's, you can't have just your IT group or, you know, maybe just your CISO, you know, kind of whoever you've put in charge, be the only one thinking about it. You know, it, it should really be, become like a board level report. Uh, so that way the top people within an organization are aware of it. And then also provide constant you know, education and training. So you don't create inadvertently or unintentionally a weak link within your security. Because you know, the saying goes, your security is only as good as your weakest link. And you know, th that is time after time shown to be very true. Um, you know, and all of that, I think then that starts to build a culture around security. And once you've instilled that in an organization, it just becomes second nature. Um, you know, in my, in my job, I actually see that on a daily basis because at my company, security was built, built into the product and built into the thinking from day one. And I've got, you know, like my engineering team will ping me with questions because they would want to be like, we're sorry, we're working on this new enhancement or new product feature. Is it going to be a problem? Or we had a customer ask for us to do this. Like, are we allowed to do that? You know, so those questions are coming from people that you wouldn't necessarily think would be overly concerned about security or even, you know, aware of, you know, like regulations like HIPAA. So, but because there was such a good focus of having open discussions about it and providing good training, everybody thinks about it. And I think that is something that can happen in any organization that's out there. It just takes you know, some time and effort, but it's going to be time and effort that's well invested. So, you know, to me, I hope that is part of what comes out of it because, you know, as we've been talking about, the, the pace of cyber attacks is only increasing and there are absolutely no signs that it's going to be slowing down at any point in the near, even midterm future. Well, Matt Fisher, General Counsel at Carrium, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and insights and, and expertise with us today. This was, this was terrific. Yeah, no, thank you very much. It was great to be on here.